I'm going to read from Psalm chapter 51, verse 17 this morning. And the scripture reads, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. As we continue our 40 days of prayer, this morning I'd like to speak with you uh, regarding the theme, broken prayer. Broken prayer. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in the midst of this 40 days of prayer, Lord God. We thank you, O Lord God, for your calling us into a more intimate relationship with you. We ask, O Lord, that you speak to us today through your word, O Lord God, and that above all, you would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start off this morning by taking the time to say thank you uh, to all of the wonderful people who have supported my family over the last couple of months through prayers, emotional support, meals, uh, and gifts. Now, let me explain. Some of you may not know exactly what I'm talking about. You might have noticed a couple of months ago, you, you started seeing a little bit less of me in church. I know that many of you just assumed that my modeling career had finally taken off. <laughs> but um, let me give you some context. You didn't have to laugh that hard. I mean, good happen. I can model socks, you know? Come on. Give me a break. I get no respect. Okay, let me go back a little bit. A couple months ago, in the beginning of June, my family and I went on a vacation. We went on a cruise to celebrate my daughter's 16th birthday, and it was an amazing cruise. But honestly, that feels like it was about five years ago at this point, because just a few days after we got, literally just a few days after we got back, life as we knew it collapsed when my wife went into the hospital. She uh, had some sort of infection in her lungs, uh, and the treatment of that infection, uh, it, it just made everything go haywire. She wound up spending um, 18 days in the hospital, over two separate hospitalizations over the course of a four-week period. And uh, the doctors, they, they still haven't really explained to us what was going on and what continues to be going on with her. And they initially said that she'd need a year to recover. But she's actively fighting to prove them wrong, and she was in church this morning at 8.30. Yeah. Now, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of... Overnight stays in the hospital for my children and I we were alternating, taking turns whenever we could. In the midst of multiple daily trips to the hospital. In the midst of not knowing where all of this was going to go. In the midst of learning to cope with a modified home life, which now included some displacement because my in-laws came to visit so that they could help. They stayed with us for several weeks helping with hospital duty and housework, and they were a blessing. And let me say, I truly love my in-laws, and not just because they recently discovered something called live stream. <laughs> but in the midst of all of this, fatigue 
set in. And I grew so fatigued that I became nearly oblivious to anything else that was going on. I even became oblivious to the fact that my own children were growing fatigued as well. Now, how many of you know that it's never a good idea to make any decisions or make choices when you're fatigued? Because your decisions become more about, let's just get this over with, instead of let's see what God is doing in the midst of this. And so I felt fatigued, physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. Fatigued. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to be so fatigued that you want to avoid people. And let me tell you, that's not easy to do when you're a pastor who lives at the church. (laughs) The truth is that I felt fatigued. And when you feel fatigued, your defenses come down and you begin to become susceptible to the lies of the enemy. The lies that tell you that you are unworthy for deliverance or for redemption or forgiveness. And if you are stubborn like I am, you don't want people to know that inside, deep down inside, your faith is beginning to waver. I don't mean faith in God per se, but faith that everything is going to work out. And so we went from island hopping in the Caribbean to hospital hopping on Long Island. We went from feeling awesome to feeling awful with very little transition. Like the lyrics say in that song, He Still Loves Me, I went to bed on top of the world, today the world's on top of me. Struggling with that fatigue. Doing everything that you can to avoid looking people in the eyes so that they won't see how close you are to losing it. That struggle leads to brokenness. If I can be real with you, if I can be transparent with you today, I'll confess to you that I was confronted and overwhelmed by brokenness. But pastor... You're not supposed to go through that because you're a pastor, right? You know, one of my daughter's friends, a young man who seems to have taken a liking to her, he thinks that God will strike him with lightning if I just say the word. And he's right. But seriously, you need to know that pastors, that everyone can struggle with fatigue and with brokenness. And you need to know that experiencing fatigue and brokenness doesn't make you a bad Christian. As a matter of fact, I've got good news for you and me. King David writes, In Psalm 51, that the sacrifices of God, that is, the sacrifice that God desires is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. 
David is saying that God will hear your broken prayer. Or maybe you say, well, pastor, my situation is different from yours. Your brokenness came from fatigue, from trying to keep up with the status quo in the midst of a true family crisis. My brokenness comes from the burden of maybe some poor choices that I've made. Or my brokenness comes from some mistakes that I've made. Or my brokenness comes from a struggle that I have with a sin that I just can't seem to conquer. But I got to tell you that I don't think that it's really different. And again, I'm being honest with you. Because if, if my fatigue came from trying to protect an unrealistic image that maybe part of my motivation is pride. And that is sinful. Now, scripturally, you need to understand the context of Psalm 51. It's a powerful psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. It says things like, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow and create in me a new heart, a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. But David writes these majestic words, not out of a desire to simply get closer to God, which is how many people apply this psalm. David writes these words out of remorse and out of repentance after being confronted by Nathan the prophet about David's adultery with Bathsheba. And the fact that he basically had her husband Uriah murdered on the battlefield. When you think about that context, I think it helps to put our own situation in perspective a little bit. And David begins by saying, he begins by writing in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. David immediately breaks down. He throws himself on the mercy of God. He's confessing his transgressions, his iniquity, and his sin. And in the original context, in the, the original language, that word transgressions means rebellion or revolt. And that word iniquity means perversity or depravity. And that word sin implies the burden of the guilt that comes as a result of sin. So David is declaring, I've been rebellious and have revolted against your commandments because of my own perversity and depravity, and the weight of that guilt has been with me every moment since. And so confessing that his sin, that his failure is before him, David is saying, in other words, I know what I did. And I'm fatigued from pretending every day that I didn't do it. 
I know what I did, and I'm fatigued from pretending every day that I didn't do it. Now, if that sounds familiar, you don't have to give me a wave right now. Just keep blinking real fast. Because <laughs> I'm not making the altar call now, and if you raise up your hand, it's going to be awkward for all of us. Thank you. But this is David's broken prayer. See, Psalm 51 is loaded with beautiful imagery of what it means to truly be repentant, of what it means to truly be broken. But David's broken prayer is really contained in those first three verses. And I would simplify it even more and say it really consists of two parts. Part one, have mercy on me, O God. And part two, I am a sinner. Have mercy on me, O God. I am a sinner. Now, David's prayer, though it was a testament to his brokenness, was filled with conviction that God would hear it. Filled with conviction that God would hear it. Because broken prayer gets God's attention. You know, we're on day 29 of this uh, 40 days of prayer journey. And today's scripture in your books, well, it confirms it. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And so in the midst of your fatigue, in the midst of your brokenness, when you offer up that broken prayer with all of your heart and with all of your heartache and with all of your heart brokenness, you will find God. So pray your broken prayer. Pray your broken prayer. Oh God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. Have mercy on me, God. I am a sinner. And David wasn't the only person who prayed this prayer. Jesus tells us about someone who prayed this exact same prayer in Luke chapter 18. And you know, this is the only time in Scripture that you find Jesus ever telling a joke. Did you know that? Some of you are looking at me weird. Let me explain. Jesus starts out telling the, telling the story. He says, two guys walk into a temple. That's a joke. Anytime two guys walk in anywhere, you know what's going to be funny at the end. But Jesus presents this parable to draw a distinction between the self-righteous and the truly broken. He tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. I'm not going to talk to you very much about the Pharisee. A lot of people knock the Pharisee's prayer, but it was simply his own form of worship, you know. He says, God, you're so awesome. You're so amazing. God, you're incredible. God, you have outdone yourself. God, thank you for blessing the entire world by creating me. <laughs> it was his form of worship. He was worship, worshiping himself, but that was his prayer in a nutshell. But listen to what Jesus says about the tax collector. He says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. 
Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Dramatic pause to drink water. Now let me give you a bit of context of what it meant or what a tax collector was in biblical times, in Jesus' time. Now Ross Anderson at PursueGod.org wrote the following. Tax collectors were despised by their fellow Jews. They were an ever-present symbol of foreign oppression. They used cruel methods to become wealthy at the expense of their countrymen. And they worked in close association with Gentiles. For these reasons, tax collectors were treated as the lowest class of sinners. Socially, they were rejected. Politically, they were regarded as traitors. Religiously, they were, ex- they were communicate- excommunicated as apostates. Excuse me. Being a tax collector created an an indelible black mark on a man in the eyes of the people. Tax collectors were not allowed to hold any office of community responsibility. They were not allowed to testify in Jewish legal courts. Rabbis even debated whether it was possible for a tax collector to experience true repentance. So when Jesus spoke of a tax collector... He was speaking of someone who made questionable choices, someone who probably had shameful business practices, a person who was understood to be, by general consensus, corrupt, the lowest of sinners. Even in the Bible, when you find, when you, you find tax collectors, you find them grouped in this way. They're grouped tax collectors and Gentiles, or tax collectors and prostitutes, or tax collectors and sinners. Now, this tax collector that Jesus describes stood at a distance. He went to the temple, but stood at a distance. He was on the outskirts, maybe like, going to church in the midst of your brokenness and purposely sitting in the back or purposely sitting in the balcony or purposely sitting in the cafe, purposely trying to avoid people. Now, before you start writing letters, not everyone who's sitting in the back or in the balcony or in the cafe is trying to avoid people. Some of them are just late today. And when you write the letters about that comment, make sure you address them to Pastor Henry. (laughs) The tax collector dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. He felt so unwelcome, so unholy, so unrighteous. So unworthy, so completely broken that he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. No, instead, instead of lifting his eyes, 
he beat his chest. Have you ever been so fatigued, so ashamed, so broken that you wanted to beat yourself up? How could I be so foolish? What was I thinking? Why do I keep falling for the same temptation again and again and again and again and again? Mental note padding for the third service. But you know what the sad thing is that some people only get this far in their brokenness. Some people never get past blaming themselves and beating themselves up. But I want to declare to you that Jesus did not take on a beating and take on crucifixion so that you could decide to crucify yourself. Did you know that when you insist on punishing yourself, that you're refusing God's grace and forgiveness, that you're declaring that Jesus' death on the cross was not enough to cover your sin? You're elevating your own sin beyond God, and your sin becomes your idol. It's idolatry. And that's serious business. That's why I'm backing away from you all. Now, listen, friends... You need to learn to forgive yourself. And while you're at it, you need to learn to forgive other people. We had some verses about it in this week's week's 40 days. The truth is that some people's brokenness stems from living with unforgiveness. And so I'm going to take two minutes to teach you just a little bit about forgiveness here today. Two minutes. Pay attention, there will be a quiz, all right? The reason that we get confused about forgiveness is because we can't make the distinction between a conscious choice and a subconscious emotion, all right? I'm teaching you something here this morning. We cannot make the distinction between a conscious choice and a subconscious emotion, and forgiveness is the former, not the latter. It's a conscious choice, okay? Here's where we get confused. We think that when we choose to forgive, we're choosing to never, ever, ever again feel badly about a person again. But that's not what forgiveness is. That's not what forgiveness is. When you choose to forgive, when we choose to forgive, we are choosing to forfeit okay, our right to retribution. We're choosing to forfeit our right to vengeance. We're choosing to forfeit our right to justice, even if we deserve it. Now, subconsciously, subconsciously, we can be triggered to re-experience the pain that we felt at the initial betrayal. So it's like when you're driving along in your car and a song comes on that takes you back. You hear that song and immediately, again, you feel the joy, you feel the love, the happiness that you felt the first time you heard that song. You got triggered to feel an emotion. Do you understand? I mean, if, if we put on some Sugar Hill Gang in here right now, some of you would lose your mind. <laughs> we get triggered to feel an emotion. So what's that mean? It means that that is a subconscious emotion. 
I can experience that emotion and still I could choose to forfeit my right to retribution. And as long as I choose to forfeit my right to retribution, I have forgiven that person. So even if I suddenly find myself having some mixed feelings, why? Because it's a subconscious emotion. Now, if you want to know more about forgiveness, I teach a class on it in Grow You, in the deeper and wider class. You can sign up for that class. If you took foundations, you can sign up for deeper and wider. We do have a lesson on forgiveness. That is my Grow University plug for the day. So let's get back to the tax collector, right? His lungs have already caved in. He's been pounding on his chest for 20 minutes while we talked about forgiveness. So the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't raise his head. He was pounding on his chest. But he did not stay in that condition. He did not stay in that condition. He didn't leave the same way that he came because he opened his mouth. And he uttered his broken prayer because he opened his mouth and trusted God with his brokenness. He opened his mouth and was vulnerable. He said, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. In the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of my brokenness, we can pray our broken prayer. Have mercy on me, God. I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, God. I'm a sinner. Part one acknowledges who God is. Part two acknowledges who I am. Part one, God is, so, is sovereign, and he's the only person who can truly show me mercy. And part two, I'm messed up, and I'm the only person responsible for my mess. I'm the only one responsible for my, the trouble that I'm in. I am a sinner. But Jesus said that this sinner, not the Pharisee, went home justified that day. Something happened when he uttered his broken prayer. Something happened when he brought his brokenness to the presence of God. And maybe nothing changed on the outside. Maybe not a single thing changed on the outside. But God heard his broken prayer and everything changed on the inside. Amen. Amen. And suddenly I've got the grace and I've got the anointing and I have the power and I have the boldness to face everything that broke me yesterday. And it's not breaking me today. Because God did something. And that tax collector, that tax collector that day, he went home justified. He went home different. He was changed. You know, I read this portion of scripture years ago, and just it impacted me. And it transported me. And I thought to myself, 
what would this look like in my life? What would this look like for me? What would this look like if I was him? If he was me today, what would that story look like? If he were telling his story today, what would that story sound like? Now, some of you are getting nervous right now. (laughs) Some of you are starting to put two and two together. Now you see me with a guitar, and you're like, wait a second. Pastor Tony used to be the Spanish pastor. He's a Latino. (laughs) Yeah, if I didn't look Puerto Rican before, I sure do now. (laughs) But I think that if the tax collector were here today, if I was him and he was me, that his story would sound something like this. I'm just checking to see if you're paying attention. That's dueling banjos. That's not what we're doing today. But I think that it would sound a lot like this song titled, Here I Stand. I stand at the door of your house Wanting to walk inside But if I walk in I know there'll be nowhere to hide Nowhere Cause I know that I've sinned And I know that it's not the first time I should walk in, what would I say? You ask me why, oh why? If you left me, I could only bow my head. I could not bear to see your hands stained in red. If you stood before me, could I look you in the eyes? Here I stand, I am a sinful man I don't find many words, and yet you understand So I beat my chest, repenting I confess Lord, please have mercy on me A sinner Some stand and stare Still others say I'll never grow You reach out to me And you cleanse both my heart And my soul My soul You tell me you love me And that you love me For all time Your mercy, your pardon, my sins and my crimes, my crimes. And when you looked at me, I could only bow my head. I could not bear to see your hands 
stained in red When you stood before me I saw mercy in your eyes So here I stand I am a sinful man I don't find many words Yet you understand So I beat my chest Repenting I confess Lord, please have mercy on me. Here I stand, I am a sinful man. I don't find many words, and yet you understand. So I beat my chest, repenting I confess. Lord, please have mercy on me. A sinner. A forgiven man I read your holy word And now I understand And so I raise my head I'm given life instead Of the death that was once due to me A sinner worship team can start making their way. You know, that tax collector was completely reviled by society. They hated, hated him. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Maybe not hated, but just so distant from everyone else. Just like there's a brick wall, like the Great Wall of China is between you and everyone else because of your situation, because of your circumstance. That tax collector, he prayed his broken prayer. And God heard him that day. David's broken prayer led him to write Psalm 51. It led him to write the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken end contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. God, you will hear my broken prayer. And did you know that that word broken there, in the original language, it means broken into many pieces. It means shattered. That word contrite, it doesn't mean penitent like many people think. That word contrite It means crushed. It means pulverized. Have you ever felt pulverized? Have you ever felt like your heart was just completely crushed by whatever was going on in your life? Do you feel that way today? David's situation 
his brokenness revealed what he was feeling. He was so disappointed in himself that he felt shattered and crushed and pulverized. Have you ever been that ashamed of yourself? Have you ever done something out of, a, out of an emotion, out of a reaction? And then at the end you go, wow, how could I do that? That's not who I am. I just feel so crushed, pulverized, so ashamed. You know, I can confess to you today that for many days, just a few weeks ago, my family and I, we felt pulverized. I felt pulverized. And we truly, truly appreciate all the love and the grace and the support that our church has given us. So many of you, so very many of you, provided us with amazing meals that truly, truly challenged the potency of my diabetes medication. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Like, you know, I'm like, I don't know if they love me or hate me, because this is... I'll just take another pill. And I had to pray my own broken prayer after I awoke from my diabetic coma. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, I have to encourage you that I was guided in part by our 40 days of prayer journal. You know, I was encouraged on day nine when the scripture said, even when we are too weak to have any faith left, he remains faithful to us and will help us for he cannot disown us who are part of himself. He will always carry out his promises to us. I was so encouraged by that. In the midst of my brokenness to read, even when we are too weak to have any faith in God, that sounds like me today. God, you insist on being faithful. You insist on loving me anyway. But you know, the scripture that really got me there was day 13. It said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You know, God reminded me. It was a sweet reminder. It was like the Holy Spirit just whispering in my ear and in my heart that despite the fact that you're broken right now and despite the fact that you don't know how this ends, I got to tell you that I'm preparing something for you. I'm preparing something for you. And that encouraged me. At the same time, I started thinking, well, if God is preparing something for me, why, why don't I have it yet? But there's an answer for that. The truth is that I, I, I don't have it because I'm probably not ready for it. Because while God is preparing something for me, God is also preparing me for that something. And when those two things align, when those two points meet, when I have been prepared for what God has prepared for me, I'm going to step into my next season. I'm going to step into his perfect will. 
I'm going to step into my destiny. I'm going to step into the presence of God. But I got to tell you that while I remain in this season and I'm still in this season, I'm tempted to be discouraged. But I'm reminded that just like all of us, we have that day at work, that horrible, horrible, bad day. We all come back the next day because we know that payday's on its way. And so, so sometimes we're believing God and we, we're tempted to feel discouraged, but don't feel discouraged. It's just not payday yet. The payday's on the way. God is working something out for you. He's working you out for something. And that encourages me because it emboldens me to bring my broken prayer to the Lord. Even when I, like David, feel pulverized. And so today as I say thank you, I know that there are some people here among us, maybe some people watching via live stream, who feel pulverized in their own way. And as the worship team begins to lead us in worship in just a moment, I want to encourage you to offer up your broken prayer today. I want to encourage you to bring your broken prayer to the altar today. Maybe you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus. I don't know if I died today, if I'm even going to heaven. And if that's you, I want to let you know that today you can pray your ultimate broken prayer. You can bring that prayer to the altar. That we've got altar counselors that are making their way forward who are ready to pray with you. That today you can be forgiven of all of your sins, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. You can be forgiven and you can be justified today. You know, that tax collector, Jesus said that he went home justified that day. He didn't leave the same way that he came. Don't leave the same way that you came. How will you go home today?